Good morning. Welcome, Bethany North, to worship. I'm Pastor Ruth, and I'm delighted to be here in the month of September. We always go back to our core values here at Bethany and talk about our value around gathering, our value around growing, and our value about going. And so this week, this morning, we're talking about growing. We're considering what it means to be whole life disciples of Jesus Christ, encouraging one another in that ongoing transformation that he wants to do in our lives. I'm wondering, as I look out at this very varied group of folks, how many of you identify with being Generation Z? Generation Z or the iGen since 1990? Maybe our teenagers aren't in here this morning. How about millennials? How many of you identify as millennials? Okay. How about Generation X? Oh, quite a a few Generation X. Baby boomers. Yes, we're here. Greatest generation. Are you in the house? Yes, you are. Love to see all of us gathered. And that's another value Bethany has is this intergenerational life that we share together. I wonder if we asked each different generation how they would describe the greatest life problem that they're facing right now. And I wonder if the generations don't share some of those life problems, because I can tell you as a baby boomer, and some of you can can attest to this, that as we go through life, we realize that many of our problems persist. (laughs) Life problems persist. For instance, listen to this list. Having trouble with personal relationships? Anybody? Unable to control your emotional nature? Prey to misery or depression? Unable to make the life you want to live? Feeling useless, fearful, unhappy? Finding yourself unable to be of real help to other people? Do you know where that list comes from? It's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it says that that is a description of the core problem, the core problems of an alcoholic. Notice it didn't even mention drinking. AA describes the central life problem of alcoholics as a spiritual problem, the problem of bondage to self or selfishness. The Apostle Paul talked about his central problem this way in Romans 8. I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Whatever your generation, the bad news is that life's central problems, experts like Carl Jung say, are insoluble. The greatest and most important problems of your life are all fundamentally insoluble. They can never be solved but only outgrown. Paul agrees that he was never able 
to solve his core dilemma. Only the power of God through Jesus gave him a way out, and Paul describes that way out in Ephesians 4 as a process of maturing, a process of growing, that we go on developing, becoming more and more alive, more and more mature. So this morning, I want you to consider the idea that perhaps whatever is weighing heavily on you right now, your most important life problems might be insoluble. Perhaps it can only be outgrown. And I'm hoping that we will open our hearts today to 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. Paul offers us a path to growth. Let's pray. Father, we're your people. We're in need of your life. We're in need of your breath today and every day to infuse us with the life we were intended to live. We can't do it. We need you. This morning, would you touch our hearts with some piece of life that we uniquely need as individuals and as a community, Lord, that we would grow to reflect you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I was aware this week of how the light is diminishing. I got out my, my uh, lamp, my, my sun lamp, um, that I use every fall, because we're actually losing about three minutes of sunlight a day. And I'm very aware of the necessity of light to my mental health and my emotional health and my physical health. And so I sit in front of that lamp for about a half hour every morning. And I think our passage is talking about the necessity of God's light to bring spiritual health and growth to us. 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 is going to land us in three spots, three places that you and I need to show up to sit and be exposed to the truth and the grace and the love of God. Three sites on the path of growth where we are exposed to God's light. Let's begin with the first, sitting before God in verse 16. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. Paul talks here about the veil being removed, and he's talking about a story. He was referring to a story that would have been really familiar to them in Exodus 34 about Moses. We're not going to go into that story, but you can go back and read it if you want to. We know from that story and from just our general knowledge about the use of veils in many parts of the world today that a veil conceals, right? You might say that in some parts of the world to go unveiled is a sign of sort of a boldness or a sense of shamelessness. And an unveiled relationship between two people is where we can see clearly and where we are seen clearly. This is, in fact, the state of humanity that's described at creation in Genesis 2.25 when it says that Adam and Eve, the two of them, were naked, but they felt no shame. In a sense, that's our most natural stance before our creator, that every human being would feel exposed, naked, but without the need to be either afraid or ashamed. But we know that that changed in Genesis 3, right? 
humanity. There's a mutiny against God. They declare their independence. God is no longer God to them. They, de they desire to live based on their own knowledge, based on their own power. And what a strange thing that Adam says when God finds him hiding in the garden. Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. So the immediate result of disobedience, the immediate result of independence from God is fear and a, and a sense of shame. And it's even more powerful in the Hebrew where the, the verb is not I was afraid and I hid, sort of a past tense thing, but it's a verb that, that describes continuing action more like fearing I am hiding. It's an ongoing action, fearing I am hiding. And that, my friends, is a description of the world that we inhabit. Fearing God, I'm hiding from God. Fearing myself, I'm hiding from myself. And fearing others, I'm hiding from others. Fearing, we are hiding. So the first step, the first stop on this path of growth is to be in this unveiled place or naked before God. Liberation, Paul says, freedom begins when we open our hearts, unveil our faces, and sit exposed to the light of God. Now, I have four preschoolers, grandchildren, three of them grandsons, who pretty much spent the whole summer trying to disrobe. Pretty much everywhere we went, they spent most of the time trying to have as few clothes on as possible. Every trip to the beach, I, I would laugh because their parents would send them in boots and hats and all. And by the time that, you know, half an hour's up, they're all naked in the water. <laughs> and that is, in a sense, the freedom that God wants to encourage us to have with him. Romans 8.15 talks about running to God with no fear of judgment. But as beloved children do, saying daddy, crying daddy to a safe parent or grandparent without fear. So the first place I want you to think about this fall is where are you going to run into God's arms this year? Ruth Haley Barton wrote in her wonderful book, Sacred Rhythms, I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. What I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. So the first thing I want you to think about this fall is, is it time to reboot your spiritual practices. Spiritual practices don't transform us. They aren't magic. They aren't things that um, have power in themselves. Spiritual habits simply keep us in a place before God, available to the transforming power of God. And perhaps the practices that you walked in here this morning with are beginning to feel a little stale. I would encourage you to think about what it would look like and ask God's help to direct you to what practices would bring you before him in a life-giving way this year. I think about in my 20s when I had long, quiet times writing in my journal with God. And then in my 30s when I would sometimes post a verse above the changing table and maybe read it three times a week. You know, that, that was my spiritual practice for the time of my babies and toddlers. In my 40s, 
I had the chance to do a lot of walking and talking with God. And in my 50s, I felt called to some silence and to some reading in the devotions of Christians through the centuries that kind of tied me into God's people over time. This summer, I've been reading Aaron Nequist's book, The Eternal Current, How a Practice-Based Faith Can Save Us from Drowning. If you're looking for a new practice, you might pick that up, or Richard Foster's book about the classical uh, spiritual disciplines that people over the centuries have used. He encourages me in this book to consider taking on a spiritual practice, one that comforts me and one that stretches me. And I'm thinking about that this fall. Being naked before God is the place of freedom. No hidden agendas, no crafty spinning of the truth, nothing to fear, and nothing to hide. The next spot on the path of growth where we can sit in the light of God is before a mirror, verse 18. Some versions uh, translate it beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. Other versions uh, translate it, we become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And I like the message because it kind of brings these two ideas together. Are we beholding in the mirror or are we reflecting in the mirror? The message says, our face is shining with the brightness of his face. It makes sense to me that in the mirror we see ourselves, but we see the the transformation that God is bringing about in our lives. So we also see Jesus. I I think of it as sort of an overlay. You know, the... In the Old Testament, it talks about a plumb line. God's, God's ways are a plumb line, and we can see where we vary from that. I think of an overlay of Jesus overlaid on my life, and I can see where I'm, where I'm out of sorts. I'm, I'm not lining up with that, but I see it in a mirror of his love. Romans 8.29 says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided at the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in Jesus. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. So this reshaping God is doing, it's not like plastic surgery where we become less and less like ourselves. It's more like deconstruction surgery, uncovering more and more of God's original design. That's the reason I think that we live in such shame on our, when our behavior does not line up with that original design, when we despair about our ability to live out what we believe, when we see unkindness and greed, and when we are slaves to all kinds of habits. That wasn't the original or intended design or shape of your life. So, of course, many of us find ways to numb out the pain that we cause that we are trying to avoid as we cause it to ourselves and others. Your life was, in fact, intended as a display to the world of something of the life of God. God's generosity, God's endless grace, God's commitment to justice, God's creative genius. Your jar of clay holds a unique, one-time-in-all-of-history treasure And it's going to shine particularly because of your circumstances and your experience and your gifts and your personality and your body. You were created to enjoy and display one facet. You know, I guess that's why diamonds sparkle because they have a whole bunch of surfaces. 
Think of the infinite surface of God, the infinite display of the light and beauty of God. You were meant to display one facet of the light of God. If you allow God to peel back the masks you've created to cover and protect yourself. In 2001, my daughter and I got to visit the East Coast as she was looking at some colleges, and my very favorite day on that trip we spent at the Ben and Jerry's factory. (laughs) Just going to say, you want to go there. We saw the cows, we saw the factory. We were happy to taste test some of their new flavors and give them our opinions. And there's a piece of information I brought home that's vital for us to know, and that is that Ben and Jerry says, once a pint is opened, it should always be eaten at one sitting. (laughs) That's what they say. Not meant to be reopened. But as you leave the tasting room at Ben & Jerry's, there is a beautiful mirror. And that mirror uh, is very special because it reveals, I think, how Ben & Jerry's sees all of its visitors and customers. When you walk past that mirror, everyone looks tall and thin, (laughs) willowy, lean and wide. In fact, I can't believe Amazon doesn't sell those mirrors. I looked. (laughs) God's mirror is a little like Ben and Jerry's mirror. No, stay with me. It doesn't distort the picture of who we are. It doesn't hide the truth about what we look like. But it is a glorious mirror. Because it is a mirror full of forgiveness, full of mercy, full of grace, full of love. Naked before God's mirror means I see myself as God sees me. Not with loathing or hatred, but with grace, but with love, but with kindness. I can bear to see myself as I am in the presence of love. I can see what Jesus is changing in me and give thanks. And I can see where I fell short today. I fell short in love. I fell short in grace. I fell short of God's design. But I get to see a little piece of what God intends for the design of my life. David Benner writes, Christian spirituality involves a transformation of the self that occurs only when God and self are both deeply known. There's no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self, and no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. John Calvin wrote, nearly the whole of sacred doctrine consists in these two parts, knowledge of God and of ourselves. So this morning, I want to challenge you at this second place about gazing into the mirror of God's truth and grace. Where will you do that this fall? Where will will your self-discovery take you? Will you need the help of a counselor or spiritual director, maybe a trusted friend or a small group? Some people use tools like the daily examine or the 12 steps or the Enneagram. I've been enjoying this book called The Road Back to You. If you want to hear about the Enneagram, that'd be a great place to start. And I'm going to try to attach some of the resources that I talk about today uh, online with, with this sermon. 
The mirror of God's transformation is where we see who we are in the light of God's truth and grace, and it becomes the place of repair and refreshment and a safe place to relinquish and peel away some of those masks that keep us from reflecting the glory and goodness and beauty of God to others. The third spot on the path of growth that I want to talk about this morning where the light of God is available to us, is in each other. I have a neighbor who has uh, light panels on the roof, you know, uh, grabbing what little sunlight we have here for electricity. And those panels reflect light right into my living room at times, right? Our neighbor's windows reflect light. Uh, Some of us have had darkness reflected into our light, right? The mirror of other people in our lives has reflected lies to us, has reflected harm to us. The harm done by the people in your past can only be repaired by the love and care of people in your future. God's plan is that through one another is another space where his light is seen. Think about how many of God's commands you cannot do alone. Love one another. Wash one another's feet, forgive one another, carry one another's burdens, live in harmony with one another. Paul modeled a ministry of transparency and vulnerability. 1 Thessalonians 2.80 says, he, he describes himself, with a mother's love and affectionate attachment to you, we were happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very lives or our very hearts, because you had become so dear to us. He doesn't shield the people he's ministering to from his dark thoughts and experiences. The very beginning of this letter, he says, he describes his circumstances as crushing the life out of him. He describes himself as despairing, even of life. And it was because of Paul's vulnerability that he was judged by this affluent, politically powerful group in Corinth. These Christians who saw Paul's suffering as a real downer, they thought that because he was suffering, he must not be blessed by God. He must be spiritually inferior to them and to the super apostles who looked so much more successful. Unfortunately, that idea, that perspective is still sometimes found in Christian circles. I hear about people who are suffering with cancer or have lost a child who are told that they must have sinned or somehow fallen out of God's love and care. Paul says a resounding no to that point of view, pointing out in this passage that our suffering actually allows us to mysteriously participate in and intimately be part of contributing to the life of Jesus in others. We often do feel like Paul, don't we? Crushed, despairing, abandoned, destroyed. Paul says this is the place, weakness is the very place that we are of real use to others. Alec Hill mentioned a couple of weeks ago in his sermon that God is looking for collaborators, that creation is continuing through us. God wants to collaborate with us, and one of the important areas he wants us to collaborate in is the recreation of each other through our shared weakness. Cracked pots 
ordinary clay jars, weakness, these are God's favorite building material. I sometimes look out and I know some of your stories, and I consider this a hero's gallery here on Sundays. If you only had eyes to see those around you, brothers and sisters who are living with financial hardship, who are caring for ill parents, fragile children, unexpected setbacks at work, crushed relationships or crushing relationships. We lost a Christian hero this year when John Vanier died. He's a founder of an organization called LARCH um, that's an international group of communities where people of faith choose to live in community with people with developmental disabilities. And he has this to say. I am struck by how sharing our weakness and difficulties is more nourishing to others than sharing our qualities and successes. Sharing our weakness and difficulties is more nourishing to others than sharing our qualities and successes. Sometimes I look at people of faith and wonder, how is it that some people go to church faithfully their whole lives and yet show no signs of growth or change? How is it that occasionally I run into people who know the Bible really inside and out, and yet they aren't able to be a good friend or to listen well or to love well? I think it's because we haven't committed to this process of growth. One of the common themes in all of these showing up naked places is humility. And that's, that's a, a key ingredient that sometimes we are unwilling to go to a place of being humble. That we haven't had the courage, perhaps, in the groups we're part of to be weak. If you're part of a group at Bethany North, here's the questions I'd ask about your group. Is it becoming a second family where you experience forgiveness and acceptance and challenge and support? Is it a place where truth is confronted, where it's safe to heal and to grieve? Is there accountability in your group, discipleship in the ways of Jesus? This year, we are using a book uh, by Henry Cloud and John Townsend called Making Small Groups Work as a resource. We're making this available to the leader of every group at Bethany North. And that list that I just read are the attributes that Cloud and Townsend say should be part of every small group experience. And we're going to be training leaders next Sunday after church. So send your leaders to us. Come and learn how to be more transformational groups. Not a clothing optional group. (laughs) A more real group. (laughs) Our hope is that everyone at Bethany North is connected in a life-giving relationship with Jesus and with other people. Truth and grace are necessary ingredients And I would say that truth is a kind of grace. Sometimes at Bethany, I have to say, we lean towards grace. And you've probably, some of you come from places where they lean towards truth. And I'm going to say truth is a kind of grace. If someone is running towards a cliff to yell a warning to them, is that truth or is that grace? 
May our groups be places of grace and truth over time where we are exposed to the light of God through one another. Uh, I've had the chance for several years to meet with a group of nine women who I've known for about 25 years through ministry. We have a Lutheran, a Covenanter, some Presbyterians, someone from Mosaic, and a couple of us from Bethany. And we started meeting on a Good Friday, so we call ourselves a Good Friday group because it's always a Good Friday if we're gathering. And it's a really simple group. We listen to each other with compassion and sometimes discernment. We play together and usually try to enjoy a time away together every year. We certainly weep together. We've buried two husbands, many parents, and a sibling. And we take a little time each week to silently reflect on Scripture because we find that that takes us to a deeper place of feeling and also to being aware of God's current invitation to each of us. And I I love that group of women, and I know they love me. This summer, we had some time away at the beach, and one of the women reminded me in passing that she first met me in 1996 and that I was crying and despairing about my marriage at that time. I just was immediately flooded with shame. Even after all those years of love and safety and intimacy with those women, my thoughts went to, maybe I don't belong here. Maybe I'm still too broken, not worthy. So the next morning, we were taking a walk, and I mentioned to one of my friends my experience of having this just wash of shame come over me when someone talked about something from the past. And she said to me, Ruth, your vulnerability was what opened the door to this group of women coming together. The Good Friday group wouldn't exist without your transparency and your willingness to go first, sharing your brokenness. Friends, God's witness to the world is not accomplished through displays of power, imposing our strength and our perspective on the world. God says, my grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weaknesses, Paul says, for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of God living in me. It's in the courage to show our weakness where God's glory gets out through the cracks of our ordinary lives. The light and glory of God are seen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the way you carry us to the light, the light with you, the light of who we are, and the light with others. Lord, this week, even though we experience every kind of pressure, we are not crushed. Lord, this week, at times, we don't know what to do but quitting is not an option. This week we are persecuted by others, but you have not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, Lord, but we are not knocked out. We continually share in the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. Amen. I am going to invite forward, we're going to do a commissioning today of leaders of groups. So if you are a leader of any kind of group at Bethany, 
whether you're on my radar or not, whether you're on the list or not, if you're leading a group and it's at Bethany North, would you come forward? And I'm going to have this first group of folks. I want everybody just to walk on stage, but I'm going to introduce this team today. Uh, I'm very excited to let you know about the creation of a new team. This is the group's ministry leadership team. And would one of you grab a mic there? Thank you. Um, and I, so the rest of you leaders, come on back. These seven, let's move forward so they can get around behind you maybe. Uh, this team got together, felt called by God through me <laughs> this, this spring <laughs> and answered yes to the call. And they've spent a lot of time together. We had a whole day retreat. We talked about the vision for groups here at North. Uh, they are working on the training that's happening next week. They're going to do the commissioning of leaders today. Uh, and they are also going to shepherd. There are actually over 50 people leading groups here at Bethany North. And they need support, prayer, and care. And so I'm just super grateful to this group of folks. And I would just like you to tell us your names. Just go down the line and tell us your name. <laughs> Kelsey. Ben Winnebred. Zach. Bev. Craig. Good morning. My name is Paul. I'm Maureen. Thank you. And this group, um, I am just so grateful because I feel like I have a team. I love working on teams. And they have so many gifts beyond what I have and have eyes to see and ears to hear the Lord in different ways. And so I'm, I'm going to turn our time over to Craig and Zach, who are now going to commission group leaders. And by the way, all of these folks are also in groups. My friend and fellow Connect Group Leadership teammate Zach is here to commission the small group leaders in the church today. But first I wanted to share my Bethany small group stories with you all. Six years ago, at our previous location, Tammy and I showed up for the first time in this strange gym. I was filling up my cup of coffee when... Sharon Jensen came up to me and said, are you new? Stepping from her comfortable conversation with friends, her gesture made me feel welcome. Her action may have been the difference between Tammy and I coming a second time or trying another church the following week. So we're a church in a box. We especially were a church in the box back in the day. And it takes an army every Sunday. So it was suggested to us that a good way to get into, involved was through setup. Turns out getting involved is also a great way to meet people. A few weeks into setting up chairs, a friend I had just met, Leif Stenford, invited me to Tuesday morning men's group. I really connected with this group and it was and remains a band of brothers who are growing together and together in Christ. A few months later, Leif and Tawny invited Tammy and I to a newly formed couples group. After a few months, we coined ourselves marriage BS or marriage or just BSers. BS standing <laughs> mostly for Bible study, of course. <laughs> the group has since disbanded, but the friendships have not. 
Since then, Dave Going and I decided that a Tuesday evening men's group was needed, and so we left the morning group and formed Trajectory Tuesdays. Recently, my friend Paul Craig came up to me and said, we need to talk business. Uh, On his heart was a, a group of small business owners and operators that actively and intentionally worked together to weave Christ into our business strategies, our business DNA, and our daily work lives. The indie group, the I'm not done yet group, is fun to attend for uh, the more mature over 55s. On a slightly younger side, Susie Ulrichson and I decided we'd create a small group. It consists of her and I and 20 to 30, three to five-year-olds. Some (laughs) might call it Sunday school, but it's a connect group to us, linking us to each other, to the kids, and to a wonderful group of generation down younger parents. So what's the point? The point is that in community, is where you find community. We find people with whom we share life's joys, pains, missteps, and victories. With friends we have and haven't yet met, we grow in relationship with each other and with Christ. Sometimes we're invited into a group. Sometimes. Like Kelsey and Zach, they decide... (laughs) To have a child, no, to, to, ha- <laughs> to form a group themselves and, and invite people in. Today, out in the commons, you have a chance to meet the various groups, leaders, and members within the group. If you don't see a group that fits, head over to Paul Gabin to find out how to be trained to be a leader. So, that said, Zach, my young friend, will you please commission these group leaders for us? So here at Bethany North, we believe in that transformation happens in community. Uh, so we want everyone to be connected in a life-giving way, both to Jesus Christ and to those of us uh, within the community. Uh, we are therefore grateful for all of these leaders um, who are the face of hospitality for our church throughout the week. They provide space, safety, and guidance uh, to us to share life together and grow along the journey with Jesus Christ. So leaders, here is your charge from 1 Peter uh, 5. Be shepherds of God's flock under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And will all of you join me in praying for them? Father God, we thank you for giving us a community where we are loved, encouraged, accompanied, and prodded to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Thank you for these leaders called this year to serve by caring for others. Amen. So may each of us at Bethany North look for ways to love, encourage, accompany, and respectfully prod these leaders along the path of life leading you. We desire to see Jesus formed more and more 
in each of us this year and to experience the abundant life that we were created for so that our world is changed in, by the love that we share. So a few final words on the subject. Wouldn't it be great if there was an easy way to meet the small groups, their subjects, days, times, frequencies, <laughs> leaders, other members? Oh, but there is. And you have a list in your hand, looks like this, of all of the groups that are available. There are also tables out here. So we encourage you to come meet us. Because in six years, I've found some of my life's dearest and closest friends growing beside them in my faith walk as a function of a well-timed welcome and accepting an invitation to join, I have two more encouragements. One, that those of us comfortable meeting people, meeting new people, Pull a Sharon Jensen every once in a while. Keep our heads up and approach individuals and families who are standing alone before, between, and, and after services. And two, that those of us not presently in a group, give it a go or another go. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, and I'm going to encourage the leaders here uh, to head on out, especially if you are going to be the face of someone at the table there. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I'm going to give uh, the benediction as we, as we close our time. So no, and it's from 2 Corinthians 4. So no wonder we don't give up. For even though our outer person is gradually wearing away, our inner being is renewed every single day. We view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal, weighty glory far beyond all comparison because we don't focus our attention on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but the unseen is eternal." Go in the peace of God. Just your heart. Just wanna bless your heart. Just wanna bless your heart. Just wanna bless.